Hi, and welcome into another episode of Balls in the Air. I'm your host, Charlie Reimer. Now, every week we have an episode of uh, Balls in the Air, and I tell you, we've got something really special or somebody really special. This week we couldn't find something or somebody, so we went with my agent, Paul Graham. Hey, Paul. Hey, Charlie. How are you? <laughs> He's my favorite person in the whole world to mess with. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, in, in all seriousness, folks, I've got, I've got a good friend in Atlanta, a young man who, who loves playing the game. He listens to a lot of podcasts, and, and I was asking him the other day, um, hey, who would you like to hear from on the podcast? And he goes, you know what? I hear a lot about sports agents and golfers agents, and, and I don't really know what they do. Why don't, why don't you get a, a really cool sports agent on? And the coolest one I know is on our show. I've been fortunate to be with Paul going on 15 years now. And, and um, our relationship is well beyond a business relationship now. So, so very, very good friends, really family. And uh, so, Paul, appreciate you coming on. And, and um, let, let's start right there, Paul. I mean, my friend Randy in Atlanta, he wants to know what an agent in golf does and, and so how, how do you go about, how do you even start to answer that question for a PGA Tour player? Um, well, first, thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, and I guess for, uh, to go represent a player, it's, it's kind of difficult from the beginning because most guys who do it don't really know anybody. So the best way I can do it is kind of tell you how I got started. Um, as you know, Charlie, I spent, about five years on the road with hooting the blowfish. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't give that away. We're going to get to that a little bit okay. later, Paul. I mean, you know, this isn't a normal quick, you know, Charlie call, hey, I got to go. You know, you got to go talk to somebody you. important. But but I, I just want to, you know, big picture, when when somebody when somebody thinks uh, or hears um, that that a, a player has an agent, what is that? What kind of things are, are that agent is that agent doing for the player? Are they out there every day, every week, every month? Do they just sort of let them go? Uh, you know, j just in general, what, what what's the agent role, agent's role on a PGA Tour player's team? Well, I would say that basically, you know, if you look at the uh, the player himself being um, the company, you know, the, the agent would basically be the CEO. Yep. So he's going to oversee every aspect of their career. Um, most of the players that are a high level, they're provided so many different uh, amenities through their management company that um, he's just making making sure that they're over, you know, all those things are being taken care of. So guys who are A-list players who are really at the top of their game, they're getting daily sheets on where their hotel is, when their ride's going to pick them up for their private plane, what the tail number is on the plane, when they're going to arrive at their next event. And I would say that it's, you know, as far as being at events, it's, it's normally on the days that they don't, you know, they're not actually playing golf because business usually gets done between that Monday and Wednesday part because there's manufacturers still there on site because the manufacturers are there basically leave uh, on that Wednesday afternoon. Um, and then obviously if a player is playing well, a lot of times guys will go out uh, and, and watch him win, you know, so they'll, see how things are going on a Saturday and maybe fly out. You know, I've gone out to see one of my players hopefully win and, you know, they shoot 77 and I just took the trip for no reason, but it was still there. <laughs> Did you yell out? Did you yell at them after that? Uh, yeah, I'd fired both of them. After <laughs> I, I but, uh, um, you know, so it's kind of like there's, so, I, I, I talk a lot about like verticals within, um, 
you know, once you have talent that's become larger, they, they, they create their own verticals, you know? So all those verticals are like pockets of business that they're end up doing. So within that, that manager has to fill in spaces for, uh, for each of those verticals. Like they have to fill in a travel person, they'll have to fill in a day-to-day person. Um, you know, a lot of players just want their agent to go get them money. They're like, I don't really care what you do. I don't need all that other stuff. I just want you to go get me the best deals possible. Yeah. So I, I can so figure out how to travel and how to get there and where to stay and all that sort of stuff. Maybe the player likes putting that together or a player's wife or partner likes putting that together and just go, go out and find a business. Side. So, so I guess it, it really, what you're saying, there's not a formula that works for every player. It's it's building that relationship, figuring out what the player likes and doesn't like, and moving on from there. That's correct. Yeah, and a lot of those are developed through, you know, some of them are developed through recruiting. A lot of the stuff that I've done in my career is basically a, was always done in personal relationships where somebody's introduced me to somebody, um, and then they just think I would work, you know. And some of the relationships I've had worked and ones that I'm incredibly proud of. And then other ones work for the, it's like work for the period of time that I was actually doing it. You know what I mean? Like I'll sign a guy and I'll go, I, I know in my head, I'm not going to work with them for a long period of time in their career. And I know that I'm there just to take care of that part of their career, you know? Yeah. You're trying to get them from point B to point C. And you sort of know that and the player knows that going into the situation. A lot of times. Yeah, I think it's almost, it's almost uh, you know, we don't talk about it, but it, I think it's, I mean, it, I personally feel, and I'm fine with it. You know, it, at the beginning, I wasn't really fine with it because I was like, oh, what? But I understand what my role is, and I understand what I'm good at. So that's, you know, I think as you get older, you start to accept the things you're good at and the things you aren't good at, and you just you kind of embrace the ones that you're good at. So that's what I do. Well, the, the biggest part of playing on the PGA Tour I've studied this a long time. I don't think you're going to disagree with me. He's putting up some good numbers. <laughs> the better the numbers that go up, the more money that comes in the bank, the more opportunity that comes in. But but you have to balance that with the opportunities that you have. And, and I think probably the sexiest part of it that people start digging into when they think about an agent is uh, what, what am I going to have in the bag? What kind of clubs am I going to play? What kind of ball am I going to play? And 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 so talk to me a little a little bit about that because there's differences in equipment and equipment companies, in particular on the golf ball side. How how do you sort of balance that out? Because and, and all the offers aren't the same as well. It's it's I, I made a mistake very early before you were my agent. I, I chose to play a golf ball for a lot more money, and that ball was a little bit of a wild card. Um, and versus one that, that was going to be a lot less money, but, but I knew what I was going to get out of it. If I had to do all over again, I wouldn't have chased the dollars. Although at the time it seemed like, seemed like, yeah, that's a lot of money. I'm going to take the chance and I'm so good. I could, I could go out there and play with a granite rock. That's not necessarily the case. So that, that balance, if you, you maybe talk to us a little bit about that might be interesting to the listeners. Um, I love the term chasing the dollars. So, um, you know, those are all things that uh, that that term you really don't understand it unless you're an agent or unless you're a professional golfer or even if you're a professional musician. You know, you go chase opportunities to be able to try to get paid. Um, the first player that I started working with, um, I, I had two t- two stints of being an agent. Uh, the first time I quit because I I didn't like the way it was being done. 
The second time, the first guy that came in, I basically just had a checklist of questions. I asked him, I said, what equipment are you playing? And he was playing something in particular. I forget what it was. Um, but he said, man, I really love Hogan. I love always playing those Hogan uh, Apex irons. Just love those irons. And um, three days before that, a buddy of mine uh, just got named president of Hogan Golf. He's like, if you ever have any players, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I look like a freaking genius. You know, yeah. Show well, as a matter of fact. So we had, a, we had a deal right away. You know what I mean? But he told me the stuff, like I knew to ask the question, like what's going to be the best to make you the best player? So that deal worked out great. I had another player came on to me and was going to sign with Ping. Um, and, uh, you know, Ping doesn't have a golf ball, so that's fine. But, Charlie, you know better than that. If I ask you this question, you know the answer. What does Ping really, and most manufacturers really care about in particular, the, the number one thing they all care about is the driver, mm -hmm. right? And when you think about Ping, you think about their putters. I mean, they're, they got the gold Butter, uh, butters, know, the, irons, yeah, and then you start getting to the driver and the fairway metals, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but their drivers sell and putters sell, you know? So he's like, hey, I'm not in this putter, but I think I could, uh, you know, come on, it's Ping. I can get into a putter. Well, the guy just stopped playing a couple of years ago, but basically that was the – that whole thing. He spent – he went through 10 putters that year, um, and it was all because of the fact that he was on a – you know, uh, at the time maybe the, the – uh, forget, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour equivalent. And uh, it was all because they were paying him a little small fee. It was uh, – and he's like, oh, man, I need that money so I can go travel, you know. Um, you know – I think right now, if you can get corporate deals for your players that match up who they are, if you can get corporate deals that also match up in anything they're going to do in the philanthropic world, I think is important. And if you can find equipment deals that are going to match in, um, you know, obviously the, the corporate deal can, can replace the equipment deal. Um, and then the player can become a free agent. That's the perfect world to play any irons they want, any clubs they want, whatever. Um, but the, I think the advice that I would ever give to an agent or to a player is to say, you know, remember, by one shot, you can make just as much money on by gaining one shot than you would on whatever that deal is that you're actually going to be put together. So before you put in, put your signature on a piece of paper, make sure you can honor that contract. And that's whatever the amount of clubs that they require you to play whatever ball they require you to play or whatever the deal is, don't just say, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, it's your career. You have to take it seriously. Yep, because if you can't get that ball in the hole, <clears throat> nothing else matters at all. It doesn't all. matter. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Nothing matters at all. Well, <clears throat> your firm, my firm, Empire Sports, small firm based in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. You've got an office in, in Columbia, South Carolina. Um one of the things when when I signed with you, which is gosh, I gotta think it's fifteen years ago, yeah, was was um, <clears throat> uh, Paul. I need somebody to invest a little time in me, and and I need to develop some things. And that's one of the things that I'm most grateful for our friendship and our business and uh, relationship is that that you did invest some time on the, on the front end. And um, my wife thinks it's definitely paid off because um, I've kept her in new shoes for all these 15 years, you know, which is, <laughs> which, which has been nice, but it, it really has been a great, great uh, 
uh, team to be on, and there's and there's a ton of trust there. But I, ultimately, that that's what it comes down to. I mean, if you're a PGA Tour player, you've got to know that somebody has got your back, and you can trust them. And 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 to me, that's that's the biggest element in having these long-term successful rate relationships like you and I've been able to have, and a lot of golfers have been able to have with their agent. And and uh, if, if you don't have that trust, if you don't have equipment in your bag that that you like and you know you can play with nothing else really matters in my in, in my opinion yeah I, I agree and and our job is this is very hard like it's difficult for some guys to understand but it's very subservient you know what I mean I mean I know you don't look at me as being subservient but if I go out to work for you like and I all I'm trying to do is think about what's the best thing for Charlie then all those things are going to end up working out for me. Cause I, that's, if I'm believe if I'm signing a player, that's who I believe. And I want those things I'm working for him. You know, I know that we, you probably think of us more as equals or would never think of me that way. or never, you might mess with me a little bit. Think, make me think that way, but, but, but I mess with my agent. We got plenty. We got hours to talk about it. All the, all the jokes I played on you. Exactly. Exactly. But there's, uh, but it's, it's, you know, you're doing a job for somebody, you know what I mean? And you have to kind of, you have to a take that very seriously and understand that the job is not going to be end up being about you, you know? And if that's what you expect in your life, then don't become an agent. You know, you're, um, when I was in the music business before, that's, that's part of it too, was like, you have to go be working for the guys that you're working for. And if you do the things for them and make them feel comfortable, they're going to perform well. And I always felt that I translated that exact same thing over into when I started working in the golf, I took that same attitude where if I can get them feeling good about things and they feel comfortable around me and they know their world is being taken care of, then, um, you know, the rest of it is just them hitting golf shots. Well, 98, 99% of, the conversations that, that you and I've had, and I and I would assume it's the same with most of the players that, that you've represented over the years. P- pretty pretty common stuff. Um, dealing with, with business opportunities, or uh, how, how are we going to pull this off or pull that off? And it's sort of fun to get involved in all of that, the business business side of everything. But that that one or two percent, those those uncomfortable conversations where you have to tell me or a, a player that you represent, not what we want to hear, what we need to hear. Th- th- those are the tough times. And and I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but Justin Thomas just went through a, a, a tough time with his, his remarks uh, at the tournament out at, uh, at Kapalua. And, and I know it turned their whole business side upside down. Um, that, that's that's got to be one of the times if, if you had to deal with something similar to that. And I, and I know – you, you, you've had some tough times with some players, myself included. That, that's that's the part where that trust becomes really, really important, and maybe not the part of your job that's a whole lot of fun. I wouldn't think. Yeah, yeah, those are tough. I mean, those are tough times, and there's. Um, but I, but I guess from my early days, by having, um, you know, guys that I worked with, that um, I realized that, you know, if I if I wasn't there and they made mistakes, all that focus is going to be on them. All that, all, everything's going to be on them. So I'm trying to give them as many um, chances to succeed as possible. And 
you know, I, I, I've, I've heard, I don't, I've never met Justin Thomas before. I've heard he's a great guy. Yeah, I've me heard, too. He, he made a mistake and, uh, it's an understandable mistake. I think the sponsor's reaction is understandable. And whether you believe it in or not, it's it's there's two sides to it. I think he – I would think that he would understand the sponsor's reaction too. Um, right. And that's not really for us to debate. It's between the sponsor and for, for Justin Thomas. And, and how his agent ends up handling it is really that, listen – and in the in when I've had situations where people that I know have made mistakes, we have to sit back and not respond to it a lot of times, not just you know recognize the fact that we've made a mistake, but also give time to be able to heal that mistake and also learn from it internally. Um, and we don't have to sit there and you know proclaim that hey we're this great changed person or whatever. We just have to kind of let our actions speak for themselves and. Um, I feel like somebody like Justin Thomas, from everything I heard, he'll he'll understand what the ramifications of comments like that are, um, and I think he's going to be better for it, you know. And I I know that it's a it's a lesson that needs to be learned, but um, uh, and I feel bad for him, but yeah, um, I I I truly believe that that's going to be the case. Yeah, and ultimately, and I haven't talked to Justin about it, but uh, I, I'm sure he's to the point. Uh, knowing his background, that um, he's looking at it as as being able to be an example moving forward that, that people can look at and and follow. And uh, it, it's neat for me to see uh, the character shine through with some of these players when they they get in a situation that's that's not very good. Now I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but I, I spent a day with Roy McElroy at Bo's headquarters just outside of. Uh, of Boston, Bose, uh, the audio company, B-O-S-E, and the CEO there is, is a huge golf fan. And remember, he signed Roy McIlroy, and they've got a long-term relationship now. And and um, I was waiting with the CEO for Rory to show up. We were shooting some some um, um, PR-type uh, pieces, and, and they'd asked me to host them. And um, the CEO tells me, he said, he said uh, a lot of people ask me why – I jumped in with, with Roy McElroy. He said, I'm the only golfer in the whole company. <laughs> I said, well, I, I can understand that. He, he said, but last year, he said, was the second year of a two-year deal that we had with him. And there was a, a year where Rory didn't play very well. And he said he personally, at the end of last year, called me, and he didn't ask for an extension. He, he, he told the CEO, Bose, that – Bose didn't get what they had paid for because Rory said he played poorly. And he said, I'd like to do a third year with no fee. And I just thought that was, you know, that, that was just so cool. I mean, that's the kind of, that's the kind of player you want to deal with. And I, and, and, and I think Justin Thomas is in that league too. He'll figure, he'll figure things out, but uh, doing the right thing, doing it the right way is something that's really important as a player and as an agent and as a team together. And I think the people that do that and operate at that level end up having the most success on and off the golf course long, long term. Yeah. Bose had a big factory right down here in Columbia. Um, they really helped us out early days on the, uh, the Hootie event, uh, the Monday after the masters. So it's been a uh, really good company. And actually, 
early on in those days, I was like, why don't you all get into golf? This would be the perfect piece, you know? And yeah. that's the same. The guy who ran that that factory up there, he was the only golfer in the whole, like, the whole place yeah. there. Yeah. And he said, I mean, it's a very similar situation where it's like, that's just don't, that's not what they do. So, so, so you had this great relationship with Bose, and I never got any free headphones out of it. That's what I'm finding out now. This is before we started working together. Oh, okay. I feel a little better yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah, so. Well, well, let's dive into your story a little bit. Um, it, it's it's hard for me to realize this, but apparently you were a track athlete at University of South Carolina. What, what did you do, like javelin catching or something like that? <laughs> I tell my students that don't be, like, don't come back to me and say, hey, would you do shot put or discus <laughs> or something? I said, no, I just got fat. I don't really know what to tell you. I can, I can relate to that. You were a runner, though, right? Yeah, I ran half mile a mile. Um, and, uh, came here in 1984. My best friend and I came down, both got scholarships. Uh, he actually, we all, we both went to the same high school and, uh, in Maryland, in Maryland. Yep. And, uh, we came down here. Um, and my freshman year, I got really sick. I got hepatitis. Yeah. And I went from Charlie. I was like a same height. I am now six feet. I weighed 135 pounds when I came to college. And after I had that, I weighed 125 pounds, maybe even teetering on 120. I mean, it was bad. I was 120 in the second grade. <laughs> <laughs> but you were fast, though, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could move. Yeah. Um, and then my next, then the next year, um, after I came back, I actually broke my leg my sophomore year. So um, I was playing basketball. We had, we went and had a workout and. Uh, after the workout, they were going to go lift weights. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't lift weights. I just run. And I went to go play, play basketball with my boys. And last point of the game, I went up for a layup, came down and snapped my leg. And that was it. So mm. uh, I ended up spending five years at the University of South Carolina as a result of the injuries. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit to do with me not paying attention during class. <laughs> I had five years at Georgia Tech without any injuries. But during that time period, you, you, you established a relationship with, with some guys, some musicians that uh, ended up doing pretty good for themselves. Isn't that about when, when you uh, met Darius and the guys in Hootie? Isn't that, isn't that a, about yeah, that yeah. time frame? I, I actually, I was 17 when I went to college, and the first two weeks of being at school, I met Darius, um, who had not even met the other guys in the band yet. Yeah. Um, and also during that time, my best friends were all soccer players, and Sony played on the soccer team, so I knew Sony – you know, even before he was in the band at all. So um, what ended up happening is my, one of my closest friends still to this day, she was uh, hanging out with uh, this guy who played guitar in a band. She's like, Hey, come with me to go see it. And I have my cast on my leg, you know? So we go up this place called Pappy's and uh, man, like everybody in there is just blasted, you know, they're hammered. And the band's up there playing, and it's not that great, but all their friends are coming up and singing. And it most of the, due to the fact that just everybody's had like 20 beers. So they're just, you know, it's hard to play good music when you've had 20 beers. But I remember when the drummer at the time came out from behind the kit and got behind a cello, and they did Eleanor Rigby, and Darius singing Eleanor Rigby. And I was like, man, that's pretty badass. And, um, the guitar player ended up being Mark Bryan, uh, who, you know, is, is a good friend of yours as well. But Mark and I 
and Dean, who's the bass player, and we grew up like 10 minutes from each other and didn't even know it. So wow. literally from that moment on, um, that was my friend group in college. And, that, and that's your it. freshman year? Uh, that was my, that sophomore, was my year. sophomore year, their freshman year, Darius's sophomore year. But that's that's who, you know, uh, that's basically was my friend group in college. And we had, you know, anywhere you know, up to 50 people that we kind of hung out with. And that was just our group. You know, we uh, did everything together, spring breaks, lived together, all that stuff. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it was, it, well, it was also before the days of like, uh, you know, before the day, before they're hooting the blowfish. So it's right. like at that time. All we did was like tag along to be able to drink free beer and meet some more girls. That's right. That's all they were. That's doing. what I that said. That sounds people. horrible. Yeah, that was terrible life. Yeah, yeah. But but they started coming together and and having some success. And when I when I first became aware of hooting the blowfish, um, they, they all the guys love golf. And and uh, Gary McCord introduced me as as the band got going and and it became clear that the, that the guys love golf. And and they they started spending a little time with some more players and developing relationships and 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 really starting to to get going. It always just seems like and has continued to be a great relationship with 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 golf. Darius I know has worked as an ambassador for the PGA Tour, uh, and and has done a lot with the PGA Tour. And and what I want to get to is is uh, the Monday after the Masters, which started out as as a gathering and and. Uh, it was at Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina. I, I haven't – I missed the first one, and I missed one a few years ago. So I, I think I've probably been – has there been 30, 20, uh, 30, 31 of the Monday after the Masters Celebrity Pro-Ams? Now, how many, how many have we had? Well, we're going on the 27 years, but because of the last one being canceled, we're really on like our 20 no 27 28 27 years. yeah so it's been a lot of fun for me other than the first one and one I missed a couple of years ago when I was playing in a PGA Tour Champions event I've been at every one of them either playing or covering it uh, for television and and it's just been amazing what that event has done in terms of of bringing people together and raising money for the Hootie and the Blowfish Foundation which I know you're a board member of but um but, but before we get a little bit farther along, maybe just talk about some of the things that all that money that's been raised over the years has done for, for folks here in South Carolina. Well, um, you know, I, I have a lot of moments in my life that I'm really proud of. Like I've, I've got a handful of things that business-wise I'm really um, pleased with. You know, one, uh, being on the road with the band and, and them having that success was just an amazing piece. And, uh, you know, after I finished being on the road, they basically asked me, hey, do you want to go run this golf tournament? And, and when you went on the road, you were the road manager for, what, five, six, seven years for the band? Five years, yeah, from 93 yeah. to 98. And uh, I remember Darius and I were going out to play golf, which was pretty much a daily thing. And he's like, hey, we want you to go run our golf tournament. And I was like, all right, I've never done that before either. So I guess I'll give it a shot, you know. So I went out to start doing this golf tournament basically by myself, but we had an incredible board. Like we had a very active board and, and really established, established a cool event. Um, and the very first year I did it, actually Tiger came the very first year we did it. So we had 12 or 15,000 people, something like that up here in Columbia, uh, seeing him play. And that was really an amazing, you know, amazing day. Um, and so that, you know, from that, from then on, um, you know, there's been so many different moments. 
um, and so many th things that have kind of defined the tournament itself. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have, you know, I've, I've cried twice at the tournament. One is when BB Winans and Darius and we're singing with Duncan Cheek playing guitar, doing Amazing Grace. And I happened to be walking by at the same time and it just, you know, got me. And then the other time was when Arnold Palmer came and, you know, I, I was like, oh, nice to see you. And we got them all situated. And I went into the trees and lost it. But, uh, I mean, moments like that, he was my hero. Um, and I, and I just was so pleased that he could come join us. Um, we developed a great relationship with his company and, uh, with the folks down at Bay Hill. So that was really cool. But, um, one of the things that ended up happening is that the, when, when the money at the masters first got started, it was really focused on junior golf. It was started without the band. Um, and when they decided to go and dive into to Monday after the Masters, they they really focused a lot on junior golf. So it helped establish junior golf as they came up. Um, I think, uh, I, and actually, I'm on the board of the South Carolina Junior Golf Foundation, and um, not the Hootie Foundation, but it's uh, but basically where our our um, money is going to. Um, and they helped and established a lot of different programs that were going on. We helped build a first tee facility and, you know, help pieces, you know, kind of, kind of fill in. And we ended up, the guys ended up spending significant dollars on certain things. Um, and then the, the next year, literally be like, Oh, we need some more money or we need some more money. So somewhere along the line, they got some advice about building an endowment within their foundation. And that endowment um, really what it did was, was the idea was that it was going to, they were going to be able to raise enough money that their children's children's children will be giving money out as a result of their foundation. Mm -hmm. So, um, and listen, when that endowment started, you know, you throw in a few hundred thousand dollars, which is significant money. Um, and then you live basically just give away the interest. That's the whole concept behind it. Um, and they were like, Hey, if we get to X amount of millions of dollars, then we'll just, we'll be good. You know? And I think the number is, I think it's almost five million now, somewhere four or five million dollars. So they've been giving that money out as they're going on and just building up the foundation. So our tournament's a little bit different because normally a tournament is like the tournament and then there's the foundation. Well, the tournament itself for us is I mean, is the charity. And then the foundation is the kid gets the money. Um and so the band just chooses things that they come up and they'll give money out, but they've always given money back to junior golf. Mm -hmm. It's always uh, been a big part of it. Yeah. Huge part of it. A lot of people don't realize it. And part of the Hootie foundation being established was the fact that we all got married and started to have kids. And there was the embarrassment of South Carolina being 49th in education. Um, and that turns into also like, man, we really want to do something. So a lot of it has to do with kids. Like we wanted to take away some stereotypes that golf had, you know, in itself, uh, which I think the band was uh, an integral part of early on in their careers. And then the other part of it was to be able to give back to things because we feel like golf does add uh, an incredible dimension to uh, young kids um, uh, growth. And it's, um, it gives them, um, you know, a chance to be uh, honest. It gives them integrity, all the things that we've heard about. Um, but also there's other things too that the band wants to do and the band wants to be a part of. And that's, but it mostly gears around towards education and, and basically in the whole all essence of just 
helping people. Um, they've always been like that. I mean, I remember we did a show at uh, in Raleigh at the amphitheater in Raleigh and the right around the Jimmy V foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Charlie, you may have played in the, the Jimmy V golf I had tournament. a couple of times. Became, yep. Became a really big thing. And they had really incredible guys because of, uh, because of coach Valvano and, and we went to that tournament, you know, we got to play. I remember I got, I played with Jim Bayheim. I got my second place trophy over here next to me, Charlie. <laughs> um, and uh, that, the band played that show that night. They sold more tickets than any band had ever sold at a show, and they gave that money away to the Jimmy V Foundation. Wow! So it was like uh, they've always been that way. Like they've 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 always had a desire to to try to help people out, and and that's where their foundation kind of you know that's it was an easy thing for them. Well, the state of South Carolina by population. Is, is not one of the biggest states. By heart, it is certainly one of the biggest states. And golf actually is the largest industry in South Carolina, uh, which is amazing. And uh, to see the relationship that South Carolina has with his beloved band is, is really cool. And the huge role that you've played with the band and now uh, with, with, with the Hootie event and the, and the South Carolina Golf uh, Junior Golf Foundation it is, is it, it's really neat. So much good stuff going on here. And, and, um, the event over the, all of those years, a couple of different golf courses in, in uh, Columbia, came to Charleston at Kiowa for, for a few years. I, I believe now it's found its permanent home here in, in Myrtle Beach, my home, and uh, where, where the show is based. And and um, it, it wasn't played early this year, but it will be played later this year. It's a September date. Is that correct, Paul? Yeah, we chose to push the April date back to September just because we wanted to give the best efforts and our, and our, our, uh, our best efforts to be able to try to have a normal event as yeah. normal as possible. So we're hoping that by that time we'll be up. I mean, cause our tournament, I mean, Charlie, you know, by being there a million times, it's not like, uh, if we were doing a golf tournament, it'd be fine. You know, people just show up and they go play golf, but you know, golf for us, uh, in this scenario is, is the driving force behind the event, but it's also, almost become secondary and, and for, fortunately because we got four incredibly talented guys who are hosting it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I could have the greatest PGA tour player in the world hosting it, but all he can really do is play golf. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> can't have a jam and play and have right, fun so. and have all their buddies come in and play. And it, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's truly an amazing event. It's the largest um, single day fundraiser in South Carolina. I'm told, every year and uh for for our listeners it's fully subscribed if you want to play in it it's tough to get a spot but it's always a lot of fun to come out and watch all the celebrities play and and uh if you get a chance to be able to go uh and 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 watch the concert and uh, paul congratulations all the great work you've done with, with that event i can't wait to get to september to um get back to the event um, I, I want to finish, Paul, a little bit about what you're doing now, along with being an agent and, and managing some cool events. You, you're actually teaching at the University of South Carolina, and you're teaching in the sports and enter, entertainment department, teaching some undergrad classes. I've had a chance to talk with you about that a little bit. You keep telling me that you're going to let me come up and talk to one of your classes, but I, I don't get that invite. I, I hope I get to come up sometime and Talk to one of your classes because I'm going to tell them some Paul Graham stories. But tell me a little bit about how much you enjoy that experience, being able to help shape uh, young lives. Yeah, they um, so the 
uh, these two guys who I don't know called me and said, hey, you want to come have lunch? They were from the university and their sport and entertainment department and basically at that time asked me if I'd be interested in being an adjunct professor. And then I, at that time, I kind of had to look up what the word adjunct meant. <laughs> and then, and I was like, I went home and I was like, I'm not really sure I want to do this because I just wasn't that great a student. Like, I don't really, didn't think of myself as being very academic, you know? So did I, did I ever, did I ever tell you what I made in public speaking at Georgia Tech? No, I made a D in public speaking <laughs> at Georgia Tech. So, yeah, so thank, thank, thank the big man upstairs that academic performance in college still lets you do uh, – poor academic performance in college still lets you do some cool things down the road. Yeah, yeah. So I went uh, – so when I went home and talked to my wife about it, she's like, you're kidding me? You'd be great at this. Go ahead and do it. So literally within the first two classes, I was hooked. And I taught, a, I taught basically a class, and then after a few years, it was going so well, I went ahead and got my master's. Um, and then became part of their faculty uh, as a result of getting the master's. So um, now that I'm doing that, I, I, I work with a great company called Empire Sports, and as you mentioned before, and, and my bosses there and, and, and my whole team has been amazing in, in supporting me in this piece. And the university does the same because I can come and talk about you know, things that I'm experiencing at work in a sport and entertainment school. And those kids just love it. Like they just think it's amazing. And, and I have a two, I have a student today who I talked to who's doing a podcast and he's doing it with another kid on sports. And uh, they started ended up doing a, a video. They ended up doing actually a, a show. Um, and uh, I was like, listen, I got to have you talk to one of my clients. I, I mean, literally it was this morning. Um, so the, the sport entertainment department there is one of the best, if not the best in the country. And we have amazing people. Um, part of my piece is trying to help uh, on the entertainment side, um, as well as obviously the golf side. Um, but, you know, sports has been fairly commonplace within the education piece there that they're really looking to try to kind of build up the, the uh, entertainment end of things. And um, so that's kind of what I'm doing. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. That's uh, <clears throat> gotta be a ton of fun. Knowing you as well as I do, you got to really enjoy, uh, getting to go in and spend time with those kids. Paul Graham, or as I call him, super agent, Paul Graham with empire sports, my longtime agent, more important than that, my longtime friend. I've enjoyed our last 15 years together and I'm looking forward to the next 15 or however much longer you'll put up with me. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. Charlie, keep up the good work, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, I, I, I couldn't be happier to have you as my client. Yeah, I feel the same way, Paul. Paul Graham, folks, we appreciate you joining us uh, for this episode of Balls in the Air. We'll uh, see you and you'll be able to hear us uh, again uh, next week uh, for another cool episode of Balls in the Air. In the meantime, I remind everyone to listen and subscribe wherever they find podcasts. We appreciate you being with us.